You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to the Sports Hub Show here on freshair.radio with me, Peter Johnston, joined as usual by Alfie Steiner. It's a day of celebration today, no international break to talk about. We'll get straight in with the Premier League fixtures from the weekend just gone and look forward to the Champions League coming up this weekend, uh, this, this week. Uh, plenty of talking points, thankfully, there's lots just to go at. Uh, we're going to be starting at Anfield, where third place Liverpool played uh, Leicester, who were top of the table coming into this round of fixtures. Um, Alfie, we've both watched this one. It was a, a, a great game of football. That was not what we were expecting. Um, Liverpool didn't look like a side in a serious injury crisis, it's fair to say. Yeah, to be fair, I side was sort of obviously it came right after the, the Leicester, not the Leicester, the Leeds Arsenal game. And then I thought, oh, well, that wasn't necessarily an enjoyable watch, but I'm sure we'll get onto that in a bit. And I was really looking forward to a good game of football. And just thinking about the two teams and obviously the state of Liverpool's squad and how impressed the Leicester have been recently, I thought to myself, I actually was convinced that Leicester were going were gonna to somehow do a number over Liverpool. Yeah, um, yeah. Not at all going into it, at least in my mind. And then, again, Liverpool just keep seem to be doing this. And I'm... It's not even surprising anymore. I remember we were talking about before um, how, you know, the Liverpool-Atalanta game and we were saying how they could cause Liverpool loads of trouble and they just kept a clean sheet or something like that. Yeah. Uh, bash them like 4-0 or something crazy. Um, and then the game as well, they just keep, you know, we forget that they're away from as important and Klopp and everyone who plays a part in that team are just at such a high level. Um, so I think it's no longer surprising when we see Liverpool play, yeah, cracking game of football. I think it's it's sort of frustrating in a way um, that there seems to be so much all this all this negative energy around Liverpool and all these injuries. And you look at the table and the joint top, and there's been obviously they lost seven two, which was obviously it's looking more and more like an absolutely completely freak result. And you know, at one point, their entire back four was injured or suspended mm. and things like that. And they still are just absolutely relentless. And it's like, what chance have all the rest of them got? Yeah, I mean, look, you think of basically their entire back four, at least they had Robertson uh, fit. They've managed to welcome Fabinho and, and Matip back to fitness or at least maintain them fit. Uh, and then obviously Salah was out with COVID but you know, you've got Diogo Jota coming in who's taken his Liverpool career literally the start of it by by storm and uh, even their midfield Curtis Jones looked great I thought uh, given that he's a young player very well, and yeah. you know we're, we're thinking like Mane didn't, Mane didn't even die, I'm sure you know I, I watched first half and, and caught up with the second half but Mane didn't contribute directly to you know goal or an assist so it's like well and Firmino starts pulling his weight. Jota's showing that he can he can carry the burden when Salah's away or, or any of the other front three are. And then the midfield doing doing their jobs diligently uh, and just brushing aside Leicester with with minimal trouble, really. Well, I remember seeing them do it last year. I think Leicester at the time, I think it was when they were top two in the league. I think it was before City 
took second off them and they just absolutely wiped the floor for nil with them away, I think. So it's not unprecedented, but still, I don't think it's any less surprising. Um, I mean, I mean, we've been talking every week. It seems to be one of the regular things, how they're going to cope without Van Dijk. I think the answer is absolutely fine, clearly. Um, and I think it's quite amusing or just watching them absolutely school City every week on how to defend. Uh, they spent £75 million on a defender and can still keep clean sheets against very solid opposition without him. Whereas City mm. spend £50 million, £60 million on four or five centre-backs and with every single extra addition looks just as weak. And I just think that's an incredibly impressive tribute to Klopp, really. Absolutely. And, and the way that he's schooled and, and driven his, his philosophy into this, this group of players is, is clear to see. I think also, just in terms of Leicester, Obviously, Leicester are, are a very good side and have been playing really well. And obviously, they've got injuries, but everyone quite likes them. And, you know, given that they beat Arsenal, uh, they, they absolutely smashed City at the Etihad. And they've had another couple of big performances. I think testament to... Yeah, testament to how good Liverpool are that, you know, you know what, to, you know what you're going to come up against with Leicester, like... Brendan Rodgers is is a is a sort of intelligent coach, and he would have he would have known what Liverpool's weaknesses were yesterday, i.e., getting in behind, lack of pace at the back, maybe no Van Dijk, and yet Klopp and his side completely nullify or or don't even give too much concern to Leicester's threats and just play their game, and they're so like dominant and yeah, it's just throughout the pitch, throughout the team, it just. You know, every single player looks a cut above. And as I say, I think Leicester can be a really good indicator because they give every single team in the league, or at least the big ones, a really tough game a lot of the time. And Liverpool, honestly, like like you said, last, last year, the 4-0 away win, this year, 3-0, when Leicester have been playing well. It's just it's so impressive. But I also think we, we underestimate Liverpool, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, no, I agree. I think we are kind of guilty of doing that because every week we think, oh, maybe this is the week where whatever. But no, they were absolutely on top of the game. And I do think they did just start class Leicester on the day because I, I don't think it's a case of Leicester not being fired up. I mean, I don't think there's any chance Brendan Rodgers would have let his players go out onto the Anfield pitch last night without being fired up and trying to prove a point for him. So I think it was just a case. They were just played off the park, weren't they? I mean, you said it yourself, Jota as well. What a sign he's doing now to be. It was such a weird one when it when it came out. Like nowhere, wasn't it? Um, they just signed Thiago, and then it was like Diego Jota, who you know was was on the bench for for like the second part of last season for Wolves, and then forty five million pound signing. And you're just like, really? Is this is this a wise way to spend your money? Given that they turned down the the chance to sign Werner for like you know a couple of million quid more. But it looks to be a brilliant investment and well thought out as literally every single Liverpool signing seems to be these days. Um, but yeah, it's great. And we forget, he seems, you know, he's 23. He's like, he's the next guy, perhaps. Um, he's the next, like, uh, he's, he's the next, next uh, mainstay of that attacking three because those other guys are getting on a bit. But yeah, as you say, unbelievably impressive yet again. I do love watching. I do love watching him succeed because I uh, I uncovered him on uh, Football Manager twenty fifteen. It would have been when he was eighteen, and I signed him for Sampdoria, and he won the Ballon d'Or three times. <laughs> so uh, I feel like I played a small part in his success. But, um, 
just uh, one final thing on on Liverpool. I think um, Jamie Carragher mentioned it actually um, in the commentary. He said that like, it alludes to the fact that it's so difficult playing for a club the size of Liverpool or United or you know Barcelona or Real Madrid. So difficult to actually make history, but that I mean, they have the uh, the club record uh, sixty four home league games unbeaten. Their last run was actually broken in game sixty four by Leicester. Um, so they really have outdone that previous record. Um, and it's just you you just wonder how how long they could take that run I mean as you say a side like this who you would fancy if anyone's going to take points at Liverpool at the moment you would certainly put Leicester up there at the kind of games they've had this season but they just keep delivering and mm. I think I think part of it maybe is just like we don't want to admit that it's really obvious Liverpool are going to win the league I do wonder if that's part of it the thing is like I'd actually I'd prefer Liverpool to win the you know, and I also find it slightly, and again, maybe it's it's me from my from my Arsenal centered position. But when people start, and I know Spurs beat City, and it was a great performance. But when people start talking about Spurs and Chelsea and how this could be their year, look, I'm not saying that they won't get closer to to Liverpool and maybe even City if they get their act together. But I just think Liverpool are so clearly the best team in the league. Um, maybe there's a bit more sort of, maybe Liverpool will drop points a bit more, but you know, a reminder like yesterday of how relentless and dominant and effective and just, you know, un, untouchable they are compared to a lot of the other teams who seemingly are quite fragile. Having said that, Liverpool have shown their, their vulnerable side this season a couple of times, but since Van Dijk's been injured, weirdly enough, <laughs> they sort <laughs> of have sort of come together and collectively been like, right, let's let, maybe they needed something to sort of catapult them out of a a lull of um yeah just feeling like what's the word i'm looking for there's a there's a word that suits what i'm saying right <laughs> can't remember what it is but yeah to sort of spark them out of their comfort zones um you know they're taking for granted perhaps how good they were and they needed something to just give them a little little kick up the backside and be like right well you know we've still got to be actively being a, a great side and can't take it for granted but it looks like they're doing that without you know, the, arguably their most important player, and yesterday, arguably the you know their other most important player in Mo Salah. So, I mean, it's an interesting point you raise that about Van Dijk. I mean, it does remind me. I remember in Ibrahimovic in his one full season where he was fully fit, and then he got the season-ending injury in his second season. But there was some ridiculous quirk that we scored fewer goals and had a lower percentage win rate in games he was playing. But it was just whenever he did play, he scored. But the results just weren't there, and it's. You do wonder, I think Van Dyke obviously over the course of the whole season last season clearly had a huge, huge positive impact. But I do this season it does seem to be slightly similar to that where he gets all the attention for the good things he does. But I don't know, maybe the t- team around him isn't quite performing to the same standards, I don't know. But um, we'll move on anyway to uh, a game you may enjoy talking about slightly less. Um, mm-hmm. Not Leeds Arsenal, uh, we'll come to that in a second, but Spurs against City. Um, which uh, let's I mean, let's just start with acknowledging how much of a classic Mourinho performance it was. He uh, Spurs managed four shots, two of which were on target, uh, to Man City's twenty-two shots, and Spurs won the game two 0 I mean, you can't get any more Mourinho than that, can you? And also added to the fact that it was in the week that his bitter rival Pep signed his two-year contract extension. Yeah, I mean we're all used to the to the phrase of Mourinho masterclass, and it it does it you know that that's what that was on on Saturday, and 
Look, I, I was I, I did watch the game, and obviously, I, I, I was saying to myself at the beginning, I said, "Can Man City just can can you just play well, please, and 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 dispatch these these Spurs?" Um, well, I, I won't I won't I won't use the language that would go through my mind ordinarily, but you know, it, to see Spurs play that way and maximizing you know the threat that they have on the on the counter attack, you know, with the likes of Son and Kane. Obviously, Kane was 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 incredible on the day. Then also their defensive discipline; they were moving the ball quickly. Um, they were fighting, and you know what? Like, obviously, I, I very much dislike Spurs, but when they when 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 a team plays like that, and City are so, you know, they're expected to win. Obviously, I'd ra- I'd far rather they absolutely batter Spurs. But if not, then you know, credit where credit's due. If Spurs are going to play well, then so be it. I still am hoping that. You know, people are getting carried away with them. I still don't think maybe they're as good as perhaps people are suggesting. But having said that, to beat City 2-0 is pretty impressive. So, you know, yeah, Mourinho. And it's quite funny to see Mourinho get the better of Guardiola because obviously I sort of resent Mourinho in, in such a like Arsene Wenger orientated way. But at the same time, he's such a brilliant character and, you know, when he does well, it's, there's always going to be some sort of fun going on, and you just watch him on the touchline. You're just like, this guy is just brilliant um, for entertainment purposes. I mean, it's it's not too dissimilar, I don't think, the position you find yourself in to uh, you know, as a United fan having to watch Liverpool play as incredibly well as they have the last couple of seasons. But when you see some beautiful attractive football, you can't help but acknowledge it. And I mean, I suppose with Mourinho, he's obviously got a reputation for playing more negative football. I think I talked about the number of shots just there that kind of illustrates it. But when you've got players like Kane, Son, Bale, Bergwijn, Moura, however defensively you try to play, it still it can't help but be entertaining to watch with those kind of players in the squad. Definitely. And I think, yeah, I think Bergwijn started uh, with Ndombele, which doesn't normally tend to have, I was quite surprised when I saw that lineup because he normally goes for more conservative options and obviously Ndombele has had troubles with consistency and fitness and whether Mourinho can trust him. I think he came off just after the hour, but in any case, to start again against a, in a game like this is is quite the show of faith. Likewise with Bergvine also and seemed to, to, to perform well enough. And then Kane, you know, just putting in a monstrous performance uh, absolutely, you know, showing City perhaps what I don't want to say what they're lacking because obviously they've got great options everywhere around the pitch. But you know, Kane was just uh, just continuing his 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 rich vein of form, and he's just been mightily impressive this year. So yeah, as you say, you can't help but sort of well for me begrudgingly accept that Spurs deserve to beat Man City and and very good because City are a good team. Maybe not that good at the moment, but if you can keep a clean sheet, score two goals, play some attractive football, you know, show on the pitch that you're you're a collective team working hard together, then so be it. So, you know, good on them. <laughs> what do you think about just turning our attention to City now? You don't have to carry on praising Spurs. We'll leave that behind. Um, all the money that City spent on centre-backs, which is incredibly well documented, do you do you think Guardiola gets enough criticism for their seeming not ineptitude? That's a bit of a strong word, but constant fragility uh, defending. 
It's a difficult one because I feel like City are, and, and I don't have the stats to back this up, but obviously last year I think they conceded plenty more goals than we're, than we're used to. And they've never been known to be an amazingly sort of defensive team because of how strong they are going forward. But, you know, they're sort of mutually exclusive in the sense that City being a great attacking team translates into them being a brilliant defensive team because they just have the ball all the time and it's all about winning the ball high up the pitch and you know it's systematic so it's not like they're going to prioritize defense or attack but we've seen sort of holes in that system and and flaws and there are more and more seemingly more and more examples of you know personnel or you know situations where it looks as if the system is is fragile and maybe Guardiola isn't isn't setting them up sort of solidly enough and when you consider the money they spent, then you think, well, that's a bit of a joke. He's got to be getting more out of the players. But I do think a lot of the a lot of those centre backs, obviously, it's a lot of money, and they've spent it very frivolously. Frivolously, frivolously. What am I trying to say there? Frivolously, <laughs> frivolously. Last word, isn't it? I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to what you say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, they spent it. You know, they spent a lot of money over the years. So to see. You know, I think Edison was sort of at fault for two of the goals. Carl Walker, as great as he's been this year, I mean, bar Roy Ke- what Roy Keane thinks, uh, you know, he he has lapses of of concentration. You know, we know that even Laporte isn't looking like the uh, the sort of illustrious dominant centre back that we saw prior to his injury. Obviously, left back still a bit of an issue. Cancelo's come in and done a bit a bit better, but yeah, I do think City. It's hard to single out individuals because. The way that Guardiola sets up his team is so, you know, and I, I, I draw on comparison because it's so clear with Arteta at the moment. But, you know, the way that they set up, as much as you can have talented individuals, you know, the system comes first and it's about the positioning and, you know, the, the, the spaces and stuff like that. So when things aren't going well, it's perhaps that the players aren't responding well to the system. And, you know, we forget that, that Guardiola, you know, as you said, he, his new contract, but he's he's never really done more than three. Or four. I think this is his already his longest. He's longest spell at a club, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you 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 know, it's, it's commonly understood that after about three or four years, you know, you renew the cycle. And he hasn't quite, you know, I know he spent a lot of money, but you still think that he's still sort of got the same cohort of players from the end of the last cycle, and he hasn't quite started yeah. the problem build yet, which is maybe you know, something to worry about if you don't like City because if you sign his new contract and he's he'll be more than aware that he he's he's there for the next cycle, that's gonna incorporate quite a lot of money being spent, even more so like throughout the summer and stuff like that. Because, you know, they haven't replaced a number of players. You think of like Sane, I know I know they've got Silver's Fantora. a big one, isn't it? I think Silver's looking more and more like they've uh, oversight not replacing him. Absolutely. And you see Foden sort of in and out of the bench. Bernardo Silva looking tidy on the ball, but slightly inconsistent. Mahrez, you know, they've got an, an, an incredible array of attacking talent. But, you know, that, especially for De Bruyne, because he looks so burdened at the moment, uh, just in terms of everything that City do go through him. But he's not looking as ex- as explosive and dangerous as perhaps he did towards the back end of last season. I think just a bit more leggy, but he doesn't have that guy to sort of you know, to play the ball before he plays the ball, like David Silva with a secondary assist. I think De Bruyne was 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 excellent. I mean, he's obviously a brilliant player in his own right, but I think he 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 appreciated, and we could all see how important David Silva was for like the team. Um, and you take him away, and 
it looks as if they're struggling for their sort of fluidity because it, it does look as if something's not quite clicking at the moment. It's I can't help but ask this, um, but you know, it's maybe a bit of a ridiculous question. But you know, people talk about Man United being in crisis at the moment. I think you know where this is going. Uh, but they're now above City in the table. I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Is should there be is there enough concern around City? Because they've won three of their opening eight games. They've won mm. fewer than they're eight games into the season. They've won fewer than half of their matches. I mean, that's kind of pre-Pellegrini, pre-Mancini kind of Mark Hughes sort of form. Mm. And, you know, they've scored, I think, fewer goals. That are, they're definitely, I think, in the, like, the bottom five, perhaps. I might be wrong there, but I think they've only scored. They've scored a, a, a pretty insubstantial number of goals compared to what we are used to seeing City play play like and you know the, all the underlying metrics are suggesting that that City aren't creating nearly as much as they tend to and whether that's down to personnel or or whatever but it's interesting I was having this conversation with a couple of United fans uh, recently and someone made that exact point they said yeah well let's just take stock for a second because United are in crisis what about City let's remember how much money they've spent how they've started the season but I just think you know, whether it's right or wrong, the narrative around both clubs is just so different, I think, yeah. given pedigree. And maybe, you know, if it keeps going like this, I, I don't think there's an expectation that City aren't going to recover or, or suddenly become a bit better because they've just got too good a squad. They've got arguably, you know, one of the two best managers in the world who's proven. So I, I think the narrative and, you know, the, the solidity and the, and the overall... Um, structure everyone you know from executive level down to coaching to players they all seem on board with the with the the you know what what they're trying to do and even if it's not working at the moment I don't think there's that sort of that capacity that vulnerability or or fragility that we see at United when something goes wrong then it gets into this narrative of like oh my god this this has been going on for years and years whereas City I think because they've been successful recently there's a bit more leeway in terms of how much money they can spend and maybe there shouldn't be but you know, um, let's see. I mean, Guardiola signing a new contract means that you know he, he's not a, he's not an idiot. He'll know that they're underperforming at the moment, and he'll do something about it. So, I mean, I do wonder if maybe he's got some kind of close close intelligence, something that Messi might be on his way, and that's given him reason to sign his contract. I mean, I don't know. That's all all speculation, obviously. But I can't help but feel that United have maybe got more room to improve, I suppose, obviously, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as manager. You've got the likes of, well, Pochettino springs to mind as on the market, who, let's face it, is a big step up in terms of manager. You look at the squad United have got at the moment, they're only one or two players away from having a very solid team, I still think. So, mm. uh, But I still think that, you know, there is more room and clear scope for United to improve. So I think once they do get a bit of momentum, uh, you know, the situation is looking pretty positive for them. Yeah, and I think a really important point to make on that as well is, you know, we've seen this City team peak. Like, you know, they've been arguably the best team in the history of English football, you know, when you when you compare it to certain other teams and the way that they dominated the game, you know, for two years in a row. And, and to, to sustain that level, you know, they were absolutely fantastic. But then it's like, well, how do you, if you're not going to get to that level, like that level is unsustainable because they were so good and so dominant domestically. 
then like what what can you do like surely there needs to be a change and we know Guardiola is so insistent on his principles and he's very stubborn and he's not going to necessarily change the way he plays he's because it's so you know he knows how effective and and how he's had experience of being the best coach of the best teams in the world so well, what now because he's 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 making this move you know for the first time in his career to stay on so what's he going to do is he going to stick with his principles we've never seen that happen before it always seems to come to an end because he can't push the team to that next level but it's an interesting one with city because maybe you know they say it with spurs and they've said it with when pochettino left as good as a coach can be and as good as the players can be when you have the same guy in charge for so many years there is a natural need for you know to change it up to refresh to to make changes and you know i don't know if guardiola is going to actually do that at man city but maybe he doesn't have to but that's what i guess what we're also intrigued to see and um you know the fact that he signed a new deal as a, as we as we mentioned before would seem to suggest that he's got a pretty clear idea about what is going to happen you know in the near future to to get city back to well, I guess winning the league again because I, I guess at the moment they're they're not really they're not really in the picture, whereas they sort of should be.
right, we're back again. We had quite a strange fixture over at Ellen Road over the weekend, as we alluded to earlier uh, on Sunday evening. Leeds nil, Arsenal nil, but there was there was a little bit more to it than that, I think it's fair to say. Um, obviously, Arsenal going down to 10 men early on in the second half with Nicolas Pepe's red card. I mean, even before that red card, I believe, uh, looking back, trying to find the stats for it, I think at the time of the red card, Arsenal had only had 25% possession and had far fewer shots. So, the main place to start, I suppose, is, is your thoughts on the red card, first of all. Oh, I mean, when I saw it, you know, I saw Alioski down on the replays, and then obviously Sky Sports started showing the replays, and it's straight away, it's like, it's like that, that classic sinking of the heart feeling when you just know, oh my God, like, what have you done? And, you know, uh, he, and... Yeah, yeah, it was completely unacceptable. I mean, I don't know if you if you saw Arteta's sort of post match comments, yeah. but he looked absolutely furious and and quite rightly so. Uh, you know, to 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 rise to that sort of you know pressure and and whether Alioski was in the right or wrong for you know pushing Pepe or grappling with him, that is inexcusable. Especially when you know, you know, it was almost as if. You know, Pepe had such a big chance yesterday and everyone was so pleased to see him in the starting lineup. And then he goes and does that sort of five minutes after, um, you know, the beginning of the second half. And to be fair, once he went off, I'm sorry to say, we were we were better than we were previously. Um, it, you know, we, we could play to our strengths, which is sort of sitting back and trying to play on the counter, which is a sad reality at the moment. But yeah, yeah, completely inexcusable. So terrible for Pepe and for Arsenal fans because we all want to see him do well. And then he does something like that. And we know how how sort of delicate the trust is at the moment between Arteta and, and Pepe in, in general. We want to see him trust the player more because it needs to work from a financial but also footballing point of view. And then he goes and does that. And it's like, well, he'll be out for the next, you know, three Premier League games. Then when does he get reintegrated? Does Arteta even stand for that sort of stuff? What's Pepe's reaction going to be? It's just a it's a big fat mess on his front. But you know, it sort of it sort of sidetracks from the performance a bit because we were we were we were a bit battered yesterday, and we can consider ourselves lucky to to get away with the point. Having said that, we dug in well. I remember saying sort of twenty minutes ago, I I said to myself, or I said to the people I was watching it with, well, "There's no excuse. We're not losing this game. At least like you are drawing this game because." We've been comfortable and Leeds haven't been great. I know they hit the post and the bar, so we were quite lucky. But in my mind, if we had lost that game, it would have been a lot worse. At least we held on. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was not a pleasant viewing, really. Even before the red the, card. Sorry, the positive of, of that red card, if, if you could say something, is that you can you can be satisfied with the point. Whereas previously. Previously, if you had had 11 men on the pitch the whole time, you'd have thought, well, at some point, we should have started taking the game by the scruff of the neck. But that, mm. that obviously was never going to happen once you got went a man down. So I suppose mm. in that sense, you, you did well to hold on to the point. You can see it maybe more, as you say, Leeds, Leeds hit the woodwork a couple of times. It certainly did become a case of, you know, it was a point gained rather than two drops, I think, to be fair. Um, yeah. But let's just return return back to Pepe just, just briefly. Um just about his Arsenal career in general, because I remember when he signed last year, and I don't generally watch Arsenal particularly closely unless they're playing in a big fixture. But I did get the impression while he wasn't setting the world alight, he was, you know, he was 
he was earning his place in the team every week. But you know, I've come to realise that really isn't the case. It's a really difficult one because, you know, I think he's obviously our record signing and that doesn't perhaps help the narrative around him. Um, he's a relatively young player who played in France, which is very different to, you know, he had one really strong season for, uh, for um, Lille. And then he comes to Arsenal at probably our most unstable point in, you know, recent history with Emery and Emery didn't even want to sign him and it was the executive decision. And then, Jumberg comes in, but both Emery and Jumberg sort of express doubts and they leave him out. And we're like, why is this guy being left out when we've broken the bank and, and signed him? So I think the context of him coming in, as much as it's difficult for any sort of foreign player of that caliber, of that type of player, you know, a winger who at Lille was, was very effective on the counter attack and he comes to the Premier League and he has to adapt. So he's got that already. So I get, you know, in that sense, I, I give him a year to sort of adapt. But then on top of that, you've got, you know, the whole COVID thing and then three different managers. And to be fair, he, he came in after, after Project Restart and he started to really look like he was, he was establishing himself. He scored a couple of goals. He was arguably our manager, man of the match in the FA Cup final win, um, you know, setting up a Bamiyang for those, for those goals against Chelsea and City in the semi-final. So he finished the season really strongly and everyone was feeling really optimistic. And then we signed Willian and Willian started the season on the right-hand side. And I think for a confidence, you know, uh, from a confidence point of view, that really must sort of dented his confidence because he, he was playing well and he looked to have earned some of Arteta's trust and he was doing the defensive work. And then he was just out of the team and he's had those sort of sporadic appearances in the Europa League and coming off the bench. And he's done quite well. He's been scoring some, some good goals quite productive he you know he tries to take people on which is what Arsenal are lacking so much of at the moment but it's that element of trust and discipline which Arteta clearly wants from him which he clearly isn't getting as as much as of what he wants and now you know it's it's almost as if he's sort of he's just proven Arteta's doubts wrong albeit in a very dramatic sort of example um and so yeah he's he needs to be starting on that right hand side over William but he's he's lost to me when um you know, Willian came in, started the season. The first few games, Willian looked like a, a top signing on a free, wasn't it? And it looked like how vast am I to get Willian on a free? I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, but he's really not managed to pick up from the first couple of weeks or establish himself. And it is, it would certainly concern me that you've got a player who you signed for free, albeit a player coming in with a very good reputation, who's clearly far from the top of his game. And He's £72 million signing on the bench. isn't even managing to force his way into the team ahead of him. Yeah, and I think, you know, is a, there's so many different ways to, to, to look at it. I mean, we know Arteta is, is a very much a structure guy. He likes the discipline. I think Willian, as a, as a counterbalance to what he likes his team, or what, in an ideal world, what he'd like his team to look like, sort of prioritising the attack down the left and Willian to hold the structure on the right. But then that hasn't sort of, you know, showed that it's an effective attacking strategy bar the Fulham game, like you say, at the beginning of the season. Um, and so, yeah, Willian coming in, he's had a tough start. He looks pretty average. Like, he looked all right, actually, in the first half yesterday. I thought he was improved from from the game against uh, Aston Villa, which I thought he was horrendous in. Uh, but the fact that Pepe's not getting in, you know, we all trust Arteta so much as Arsenal fans. And so when he doesn't select Pepe... It really does sort of heighten that, 
you know, on the one side, we're like, Pepe needs to start. But if Arteta's not seeing it and doesn't trust him, then, you know, there's, there's clearly not something right with him. And it goes back to, you know, we, we massively overpaid for him as a club. It's acknowledged about, you know, so that's been acknowledged. And it was the former, you know, executive team who decided to pursue him. And, you know, he's like, he's, a, he's an incredibly talented player. But I think discipline-wise and attitude and hard work, I think... Temp- from a temperament point of view, and we saw yesterday, you, if you're if you're a guy in an Arteta side and the, and the culture he's trying to establish at Arsenal, you cannot be doing that. And I, I do worry that that you know this how how he comes back from that um, is going to be big because you know that's basically the first half of this season almost gone in a way if he if he doesn't come back in straight away. And then you think, well, it's been a year and a half and he's not doing the business. So you know, what do we do with our record signing? And it's just yeah, it's it's a really sort of worrying thing, and I still have faith because he's he's such a talented player that he'll come through. But yeah, not great from from a Pepe point of view.
we're talking about players in and uh, clubs in crisis, as we just then just did then, of course, with Pepe and Arsenal. We'll just have a, a, a quick look down to the the bottom four in the table, who are becoming further and further cut adrift by the week. Burnley has still got a couple of games in hand, but uh, I believe still yet to win. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not not, not a given they'll capitalise on the game, those games in hand. But this weekend, the two, three teams that did play, West Brom, Fulham and Sheffield United, we saw all three of them lose again. And it is looking like it's going to be a long old season for some of those sides down the bottom, isn't it? Absolutely. I think, you know, Fulham and West Brom are basically as good as gone, I think. And you especially consider Fulham, you know, they've missed five of their last seven penalties. And, you know, that's just, you can't, of all teams to be missing penalties, Fulham cannot be missing penalties. But, I mean, Fulham are the only of the bottom four sides who've won a game. Fulham have mm. won one game in the first eight and they're not in the relegation zone. I mean, we've seen like Derby County levels of performance here. It's... <laughs> oh. Just saw it going back to breaking the structure. Nicholas Pepe has just tweeted actually. Um, Yesterday, I've let my team down at a crucial time of the game, and there is no excuses for my behaviour. I'm deeply sorry and would like to apologise to the fans, my teammates, my coach, and everyone else at the club. Guess it's good to hear something. Cheers, Nicholas, mate. (laughs) Um, Going back to the bottom of the league. Uh, Yeah, Sheffield United looking pretty dire for them. West Brom and Fulham. You know, they might get an occasional win and they'll be scrapping. Uh, but it looks like those three are the, are the weak teams. I think Burnley are beating Palace as we speak. Um, yeah, they're 1-0 up at half-time. But yeah, Burnley don't look great this year as well. But they always seem to find a way to get back into their groove. I mean, I say groove, just more of their... <laughs> a Burnley groove is different to what we call, you know, a good team. But well, they've got a, they've got a- Good, like, kind of tenacity about them having the Burnley. Like, you can always count on Burnley to pick up a few points where there aren't points to be won. Yeah, absolutely. They should come, come, come good again. I mean, I was watching that saw the uh, Mark Goldbridge clip early. You know, where he's talking about how he want he wouldn't mind Burnley getting relegated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He scores straight away, and like that just kind of embodies Burnley to me. Like, they really shouldn't still be in the Premier League after all these years, given mm. the size of the club. But in a fair place that and. Yeah, I think they've definitely got more metal about them than West Brom, Fulham and Sheffield United. It's kind of the old second season syndrome, isn't it, again, for Sheffield United. I don't think Fulham or West Brom, I don't think money could buy them. Well, that's Fulham proved. I don't think money could buy them a second season in the Premier League. So, mm. uh, have to watch how that develops. There was another interesting interesting thing over this weekend, which I, you, you may well have seen the video. Um, in the Championship, and we don't usually talk about the Championship, uh, yeah. but Preston against Sheffield Wednesday... Um, Darnell Fisher of Preston grabbed uh, Callum Patterson in the uh, genitals in the as part of kind of a you know scrapping for a corner. That was his kind of way of uh, letting him know he was there. Um, I don't watching it just yeah. <laughs> he goes in for seconds as well, doesn't he? He grabs him once, then he lets him go, and then he goes back in again. I mean, is there well, a, I mean... is there a punishment <laughs> for that? I mean. <laughs> Has anyone at the FA ever thought, what do we do if a player grabs another one in the genitals? Like, what's the punishment for that? I've got no idea. Has, has that ever happened before? Can you remember? I mean, not not so obvious as that. I mean, I'd like to see if it's reviewed, but I also, I guess it depends what you're reviewing it for because it's not necessarily, well, what is it? You know, is that is that a, is that in the rule book? Are you allowed to do that? You're not allowed to do that? But that's bizarre. 
Um, no, I haven't seen that for a well. No, I, I haven't seen that. <laughs> Full stop. That's uh, something I'm going to watch with interest this week. See how that develops. Um, <laughs> just we just again while we're while we're kind of in this phase of talking about things we don't usually talk about. Um, yeah. Given we're in the capital city of Scotland, uh, we've never actually talked about the Scottish Premier League. But I think just just a quick word on it at the moment. Um, just to, just quickly before we move on to the Champions League and some actual proper good football. Uh, as a joke, as a joke. Um, Celtic battled back through 2-0 down, just down the road actually, at Easter Road, uh, to draw 2 all with Hayes. Meanwhile, Rangers slammed Aberdeen 4-0. Uh, Rangers best start in the league for 53 years. 11 points clear at the top of the league. Um, and in the, first f- uh, in the first eight games, they've scored 41 and conceded three. I mean, Steven Gerrard seems quite good at this uh, managerial stuff, doesn't he, to be fair? Eight games? 41 goals in eight, and they've conceded three. What? So an average of over five? <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Wow. Well, maybe it's Rangers. Isn't, isn't it? Um, I think I read today that if Rangers were to win the league this year, that would prevent Celtic from winning... Ten in, a row. ten in a row. Yeah, I think Rangers have won nine in a row on two occasions, and Celtic are currently on nine in a row. But neither of them's ever reached ten, so this would have been the year to get yeah. ten. I like both of Celtic and Rangers, but I quite like Rangers sort of being the underdog, and I quite like Gerard going there and, and doing well. So good on them. I, and I've kind of got bit of vested interest because uh, Neil Lennon came to Bolton for a season. Um, the only managerial job where he's ever actually had a difficult difficult task. <laughs> uh, as far as I can tell, and he won four of forty-six games. So I'm not hugely enamoured with Neil Lennon. And yeah. likewise, I um, met Stephen Gerrard last year when I was doing an interview. Yeah. Said, uh, asked him a question. <laughs> he didn't like my question, but it was quite cool. So yeah, it'd be nice to see. Fair play to him. Um, it'd be nice to see him at the end of the season. Maybe he'll remember you. You can you can uh, <laughs> say yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, well, let's let's move on from. That, that brief interlude to, I say better football. We're going to talk about Man United now. So, uh, a typically poor and unconvincing game against West Brom. I mean, I thought West Brom were meant to be the boring team, but you know, we we really ran them close to the weekend. Um, I can't help but think that in the time since United last lost against Istanbul a few weeks ago, obviously playing them again tomorrow night. Um. Solskjaer's not really moved him far enough away from the brink that another unconvincing result, a draw or a defeat, you know, it could leave him in a last chance saloon again against Southampton this weekend, as you, as we know, I rate very highly. So <laughs> I just think every single... There's, we won a game. We won our first game at home since July. I remember beating Bournemouth in July. United absolutely battered them. And it's just staggering that there's not, not been a win at Old Trafford for them since. And you know, Istanbul, terrible, terrible performance when we last played them. So mm. I'm just looking for some positivity, even though we've won our most recent game and I can't seem to see any. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, what can, I, what can I say to provide some positivity? Uh, <laughs> well, I guess since you've lost against Istanbul, you've beaten Everton. Yeah. And- so you've won two ga- two league games on a bounce, and if you win tomorrow, then you know that's sort of three wins in a row. And, and like you say, 
it sort of distances distances the team and the and the inevitable um, sort of breakdown of 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 Solskjaer's management and and the team and everything. It sort of just gives it a bit more time. But I also think you say, you know, he's not doing enough to sort of change it. But I mean, maybe he's just like it's not going to change. Like he, they'll go on good runs and they'll go on bad runs. They're not going to be the consistently the best team or the or the team that you want them to be because well, for, for, for a whole host of reasons. But yeah, I, I do know what you mean. Beating West Brom 1-0 at home. I mean, to be fair, I, I, I'd take a 1-0 <laughs> against West Brom at the moment. I'd take not... 1-0 every single week if you meant we won all 38 games 1-0. But, um, but no, I, I do know what you mean. I, I guess what you want to see tomorrow is is a proper reaction against Istanbul and a comprehensive victory and, you know, just put, put any of those doubts to bed um, because... If you if you can't find your way past Istanbul again, again at Old Trafford, then I guess those those sort of victories over the last two weeks in the Premier League sort of dissipate into into irrelevance. Really, I mean, I'm I'm really rooting for Solskjaer. Just, I mean, just from a as a fellow human being, to be honest, I mean, it's his dream job. It's any football followers dream job probably to be manager of such a huge club. Obviously, he's got such a vested interest in Man United and such a history with them. If he loses his job at Man United, where does he go from there? There's not a single other job in the world he could possibly accept that would become anything close. And he's still a young guy. He's like in his mid-40s. I just, if it all goes wrong for him, what does he do with his life? I mean, I just feel really, really nervous for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, he's peaked and then where do you go from there? To be fair, like, you know, he looks, for the most part, he seems... To be enjoying the ride, and I know it can yeah. be pretty stressful. But some Man United managers, after even after a year, and maybe we'll reassess in another year how he, exactly he's faring. But he looks as if he's he's faring all right. And the you know there was only one time I think it was after the Everton game where he looks as if the, the sort of pressure and the and the co- constant publicity and questioning and doubts about Man United started to get to him. And he won that but, one. Wow. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Like you, I quite like him as a as a as a figurehead for United. I mean, primarily because I don't think he's 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 that exceptional. He's not like top class, but at the same time, I like him as a person. Um and I like the fact that, you know, he's an ex player and it's all quite nice for a for a narrative. So yeah, look, I, I, I don't have anything against Solskjaer, but obviously I find it quite funny when when Man United fans get annoyed because it's just like, well, you know, you've got You've got the ex-manager of Cardiff and, and Mould, so what do you expect necessarily? <laughs> well, just a final word on, on the United game against Istanbul. Uh, well, it's 8 o'clock on a Tuesday, first of all, so we'll all be watching Peter on Bake Off trying to win. Uh, <laughs> but um, just, you know, victory would put United on the brink of the last 16. Obviously, PSG and Leipzig are hot on the heels, but at least one of them is going to drop points playing against each other. So victory would just about do it. For the, for the knockout stages, that's definitely something to watch out for. Who'd have thought United would be the first English team to qualify for the last 16? But yeah. we'll, we'll wait on that one. Uh, the other English game involving an English uh, game involving an English team this weekend, I think, is worth this week. I think it's worth talking about is the rerun of Liverpool against Atalanta. Um, okay. I think Atalanta, perhaps looking at the injuries that Liverpool have got, may come into this one with a bit more confidence. Maybe the the five nil drubbing they took back home uh, won't won't weigh too heavily on the shoulders. With that in mind, that was to be fair. I remember watching that game, and it was just 
as good as Liverpool were, it was... It a freak you know, nature, wasn't it? Atlanta had quite a few chances. Um, and I think Alisson and their defence played really well. And Liverpool were just exceptional on the counter-attack. You know, the amount of times that Jota and Mane and Salah were just like running through on goal and finishing, um, you know, so clinically. So, yeah, as you say, it was, it was just a, a sort of, not even a freak of nature because that's what Liverpool do, but they were just so ruthless and um, relentless. And I think Atalanta will definitely be up for a sort of, uh, restore a bit of respect and, and, you know, show everyone that they're still a decent team because they are. And the 5-0 scoreline probably didn't reflect exactly what happened in that last game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the last two, the other two games involving the English clubs this week, uh, this I keep saying this weekend, this midweek, uh, are Ren against Chelsea and Olympiacos against Man City. Um, I think just on a, on a final note, who are Arsenal playing in the Europa League this week? Have they got uh, Which titanic opposition are they up against? Got, um, we've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's ex-team, Mold on uh, on Thursday. I think it, I think we've got the eight o'clock slot, so that's that's really encouraging. Oh wow! Uh, uh, maybe some we're playing. I don't know. Have you seen that video? Of it's it's um, Arsenal fans going across Europe to watch the team, and it's like it's some guy going around and he just he does videos in weird places. And he's like, I'm on the International Space Station. I'm here in Chernobyl. And it's like Arsenal fans on Europa League away days. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, um, I mean, that's a, a funny video. I mean, it was it was United ones, but I mean, to be fair, we did win it. So uh, yeah. I guess Chelsea and City to say it because you know there's Chelsea are playing Spurs on Sunday afternoon. I think it is. Hmm. Uh, so obviously Chelsea got an away game. Spurs will be in Europa League action on Thursday. Um, I think City have a good game against Burnley. Uh, just touching again upon uh, Champions League, I don't know if you've seen it, I don't know what the, the background is, but apparently Lionel Messi's been left at home for Barcelona ahead of their trip to, I think it's an away trip to Dynamo Kiev. Um, you know, obviously they lost to Atletico, I think, at the weekend. Symbolic, uh, isn't it, that? Messi started on the bench last week or something like that. So it apparently, uh, and I'm yet to read it, but I saw an article sort of un- that suggesting that it's quite clear to see Messi's sort of waning waning impact on the Barcelona team and how they're playing. So it's a bit of a sad story, isn't it, to see him sort of quite quite clearly just pretty despondent and upset and not with his heart in it. Uh, but I suppose that's that's what happens. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it, like you say no player's bigger than the club or no player's bigger than the manager. But I don't think that could be any further from the truth in the case of Messi. I think there's any, if there's any player at any club who goes against that kind of philosophy then it's him and you look at Ronald Koeman walking into that Barcelona job he did he did pretty well at Southampton he was you know he was alright for a season at Everton he did pretty well in the Dutch league you throw him in Barcelona where he's a legendary player throw him in there as the, as the manager first thing he don't do is fall out with Lionel Messi I mean he's already yeah. a player who clearly has got his heart had his heart for at least part of the summer set on leaving the yeah. first thing you've got to do is get him back on side. And think, you know, mind boggles. What is he doing? Yeah, but you know, and, and and I think the reason he was brought in more than anything, I mean, again, it just shows how much of a mess it is because he was selected by um Bartomeu, their former uh, chief executive or something, wow. or resigned or sacked or whatever. So he was the candidate for that to sort of oversee a I'm almost like a culling, like a, a re, recalibration of that Barcelona team, you know, sort of be ruthless in your decision-making, get, you know, the likes of Rakitic and 
you know, Lionel Messi's best mate, Luis Suarez out. You know, they let Suarez go to Atletico Madrid and he's, you know, he's got COVID at the moment. So he missed the game on the weekend, but he's looking, you know, like a player who's in serious form and strengthening a direct rival. And you just think the lack of um, sort of collective planning has just been terrible. And I think, you know, and then you leave Messi sort of in it with a sort of cohort of, of mix and match sort of older players, younger players, sort of overpaid players. And it just looks like a mess, doesn't it, really? I mean, yeah, it seems to really lack an identity down there, you know what I mean? Madrid as well are sort of faring pretty weirdly at the moment as well and you know Hazard and, and Zidane and all sorts of going on so those two clubs are I mean obviously Real Madrid we said, we said it a few weeks ago aren't probably at the same uh, point as Barca but still pretty pretty sad to see two such huge clubs sort of in a bit of a decline and, and not really looking like they're going anywhere anytime soon from an English perspective, though, it's quite nice to see all the good teams in all the good teams in Europe, with the exception of Bayern Munich, who might just say drew against Werder Bremen at the weekend. And <laughs> are uh, all the good teams in Europe seem to be here at the moment, really? And the, obviously Rangers. <laughs> so yeah. it's quite a nice position to be in, really. Uh, so we'll watch how the uh, Champions League and Europa League develop, obviously, over this weekend, over this week. Done it again. Need an early night tonight, I think. Uh, uh, not, not, not until you've watched uh, Southampton at eight o'clock. Oh Good God, luck. how could I forget? I told them up all this all for all these weeks. I can't not watch that. So now I'll be uh, cheering on the boys in red and white down on the south coast. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining me again, um, Alfie. Fun as Pleasure. always. I'll uh, see you next week. Then thanks for listening, everyone. Bye bye. Cheers. <laughs>